Surveys say that 68% of people do not think that brands share interesting content. Yikes. Social media has really become an essential platform for businesses to connect with their customers, so using it effectively is super important, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. People connect with a brand when it has a personality, and our next guest is here today to teach us just how to perform our content. Katie is the founder of KW Content, Global Content, and a social media marketing agency that develops and launches content and social media programs for purpose-driven brands. Her newest project is called Strong Brand Social, and they provide social media marketing education that empowers small brands to develop their own high-performing marketing programs that are guaranteed to drive growth. Katie helps to simplify the process and demystify the art of social media marketing to offer focus, efficiency, and measurable results to small business owners just like you, brand directors, and social media marketers alike. I definitely learn new things during my conversation with Katie, and I am certain that you will too. So let's dig in. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Katie. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to talk to you today about how we can take our branding in-house. How are you? I'm so good, Kelly. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. So let's just start with the first and foremost. Why don't you share in your own words how you came into this field and sort of what your own entrepreneurial journey was? Sure. Yeah. So How I got into this field was I was working at Burton Snowboards after college, which means absolutely nothing (laughs) to people who aren't winter people, but folks who ski or snowboard will be familiar with Burton as the world's biggest snowboarding brand. And so that was sort of where I got my foot in the door of marketing. I was a copywriter and I was in the creative department when we lost our social media manager. And back then, that must have been 2010. There was information about content marketing, but not social media marketing as we know it today. Our brand at the time was like just getting on Instagram. And so when we lost our social media manager, I kind of just got given the role of social media manager. So by the time I left Burton, I was overseeing three different brands on social, Burton, Burton Snowboards, and on Optics, well over 1 million in audience. So from there, I went to Tata Harper Skincare, which is a luxury natural skincare brand. So going from snowboarding to skincare was a really good test of kind of my knowledge and expertise on this topic. And I was always interested in those two places and kind of bridging the gap between creative marketing and performance marketing. And so when I was coming up in those brands, I was also getting my master's in business and I was doing a bunch of research and I was applying everything I was doing to this field. So even though there wasn't a lot of information and mentorship on the topic. I really dug really deep and became kind of obsessed with bridging the gap between great creative and great performance, which oftentimes in brands that are big and global or national, those two things are separate and it can really make performance suffer and it creates a lot of waste inside of a marketing department. 
So when I founded my own agency, and it's called KW Content in 2017, that was very much out of necessity. I felt like I wasn't getting the jobs that I wanted, wasn't getting the promotions that I wanted. And so I set out to kind of do my own thing. I just wanted to get paid what I thought I was worth to do work that I loved and live where I wanted to. I didn't feel like that was too much to ask out of my life. So I decided to go for it. And so at this point, since 2017, we've evolved into a global content and social media marketing agency, always working through the lens of bridging the gap between great creative and performance marketing. And we still now kind of building off of what my experience had been work with brands across the consumer goods space across grocery brands, beauty brands, retail brands, and kind of all of the above. So it's super fun. I love it. And I think it's like one of those common stories. But in this case, yours had such a great outcome because I know, especially in the early days, like circa 2010, oftentimes brands would just turn to whoever was the young person on their staff to handle content because they're like, you're young, you know how to use the internet and the social medias right here, you do it. And in a lot of cases, that doesn't work out so well. But in this case, like you took it and ran as fast and far as you could with it. So I love that story. I'm just wondering, Katie, for people who don't know what creative marketing and performance marketing are, could you just sort of define those two concepts right out of the gate? Sure. Yeah, I love that. So the first marketing department that I was a part of, we had two different rooms. In one room, all of the copywriters, designers, the creative director, photographers, and videographers we're sitting in. And then across the hall, we had digital strategists, our email strategists, our advertisers, what you would think of as paid social marketers at the time. We also in the strategy department would have SEO, SEM marketers. So basically a separation between the folks who were responsible for bringing the brand to life and look and feel and tone and the folks who were driving the strategy, briefing in projects, and ultimately responsible for the results. And so that's kind of the difference. Does that make sense? Yeah. So one is very much like what you see, and the other one sounds like it's very much behind the scenes, more the strategy and analytics. Exactly. Okay, good. Okay, I wanted to make sure we got those definitions out of the way. So you, based on all of your experience working with these brands and having great success, are a proponent of keeping your branding and social strategy in-house. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important? Yeah, so I think it was a report by Forrester in 2020 that said 68% of people do not think that brands share interesting content. And That is something that I've really experienced firsthand. Social media is so personal to a brand, right? It is the front lines. It's where we're able to directly connect not only with customers, but our broader community of prospects and partner brands and all of this. And it's really the more personal and the more inside scoop our social media can feel, the more effective that it's going to be. And so we really want brand evangelists at the helm of our content and social media. And it sounds kind of backwards as an agency owner, but that is something that my team and I always center. And it's at the center of our process is always thinking, okay, our biggest job here is to overcome this degree of separation and to really develop a process that allows us to live and breathe the brands and feel like we're inside of it so that we can really do that job. But I think that for the most part, for small brands or up and coming brands, folks that are bootstrapping and don't have a ton of resources, 
the best case scenario is to hold that in-house because then you're not paying exorbitant agency fees to overcome that degree of separation and only to have kind of lackluster social media that doesn't really do your brand persona justice, right? Because we want our social media to really personify the brand and give us personality and give us life because that's the thing that really sets us apart. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense because when you said that stat, I was nodding my head because I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, I think we really like to connect with people. And when it's a brand we're trying to connect to, I think we struggle. And sometimes it just feels like one big, long sales pitch to be on social media. So I know that you have some tips and ideas and advice for how brands can achieve this connection. But before we get into that, can you speak a little bit to the difference between connecting with a brand effectively versus connecting with an individual effectively on social media? Yeah, for sure. So I think that when we think about social media for a person like an influencer or a thought leader, right? It's a little bit easier to think about this concept of personification. We can just be ourselves and leaning into our true personality is basically the best competitive edge we can give ourselves because there's only one of us. And as long as we're true and authentic to ourselves, then we're going to kind of set ourselves apart. When it comes to really, whether we're talking about a service-based brand or a product brand, but where there is sort of this layer in between the person who is performing the content and social media marketing and the end customer, personification becomes so, so important. So what we really want to do is give a product-based brand or a service-based brand the personality of one individual. We want the tone of voice, the way we caption photos, the topics that we're talking about, all of this, we want our community to be able to imagine a really specific person behind our account. And the more that we think about human aspects like personality, tone of voice, attitude, energy, all of that stuff, the more we're able to kind of bridge that gap. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think I get it. Do you have any examples of brands who do it really well? Something that we could maybe look to when we're feeling like, hmm, what would brand X do in this scenario? Sure, yeah. So I think the world's maybe favorite case study for content and social is is the brand Glossier. They're a makeup brand that really just like launched themselves on Instagram. And to this day, I think they're a really interesting case study to look at in terms of the content that they post that's not about their product. They know their customer inside and out. They know why their customer is on social. They know what their customer wants on social besides just to learn about their product. I think another interesting case study is the brand Justin's Peanut Butter. They are an example of a brand who all of their captions are in the first person. And I don't know whether or not their founder is doing all of their Instagram captions, but that's the feel that they give you. And it's goofy and it's funny and it's relatable. And it's all in the first person instead of that royal we that we get a lot, which really helps kind of make it more personal. So you bought a fancy camera or you're thinking about buying one because it's clear to you that there is no shortage of beautiful moments or things in your life that you'd like to capture beautifully. But the record scratches because all the dials and buttons and settings are standing between you and your life in stunning photos. Well, my friend, I have just the fix, the ultimate photography starter kit. 
This free resource includes a recommended equipment list, quick start checklist, and a beginner's guide to creating natural poses and candid moments to give you the confidence you need to dust off that fancy camera and start documenting your moments so they can last forever. The Ultimate Photography Starter Kit is completely free and it is everything you need to get started. So grab yours today at kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. That's kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. And I can't wait to see your framers in my scroll. So let's dig into it a little bit. You have some tips for how folks can bring some of this strategy into their own businesses with their own brands to start to connect with their audiences on a bit of a deeper level. So can we dive into those now? Absolutely. So I think that the most common problem we see, so if you currently are creating content and publishing content and it's falling flat, maybe you are just trying to do it on your own or maybe you're using Canva templates or copy templates or what have you. And if you're just feeling like, the juice is not worth the squeeze right now. One thing I want you to do is think about is, is my content egocentric? Like, am I typically just talking about myself and my expertise and how I can help and what I can do? And if you self audit your content and the answer to that question is yes, the first thing that we want to do is really start to think about our customer on social what are they doing on social outside of looking for you? So whether you're selling a product or service, your content really needs to do more than educate and tell stories that help them get to know you. So the first way that we can do this, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, but how do I do that? Where do I start to figure out what my persona wants to see besides learn about me? One thing you can do is scope out indirect competitors really look towards industry leaders, like folks and brands that you wouldn't necessarily think about your direct competitors because they're way bigger than you, but you know that like they share your target persona. So even if you're in the service-based industry, you could decide that you share a target persona with a leading beauty brand and you could go look at what are they doing besides talking about their product. So look and see how are they doing it? What are they talking about? And what's their highest performing content? So once you have kind of a handle on that. The second step is to create three different content pillars that are aligned to three different business goals. The first goal is community growth. The second goal is selling your product or service. And the third goal is driving loyalty. So you know that first pillar and thinking about community growth, I always like to say we need to generate demand, then convert demand, and then drive loyalty. So For that first pillar, that's really all about growth. This is where we want to center your customer in your brand storytelling. So this is where you're kind of taking a page out of that audit where you're like, okay, this is what leaders of an industry are doing. They're really connecting with their audience. They're talking about XYZ and start to think about what is that mutual ground between your customer and your brand that you can kind of create a content pillar or also known as a theme around and start to try that out. Then you're going to create a second pillar that's all about your product or service. The biggest tip here is making sure that you don't get too techno babbly in your content pillar here. You want to really focus on customer benefits, how they talk about your product. So a great example of this is I have a shoe client 
the founder of the shoe brand. They're called Free Waters Footwear. He's a real product guy. And he has all of these technical names for the different materials he uses in his shoes. But his customers just say that his shoes are super comfortable. And so we really want to talk about his shoes in a way that his customers will recognize what they really want, which is comfort. They don't care about his technical names for how he puts his shoes together, right? So then the third pillar is going to be all about your brand. This is when you start to get to talk about yourself a little bit and you get your customers get to know you, your values, behind the scenes, all of that good stuff that lives in pillar three. And then the fifth step that I'd love for everyone to take once they kind of frame out these three pillars is to commit to 90 days of testing. So a lot of times when we're testing a new content strategy, it can feel stressful. We question everything. We try one thing and if it falls flat, we run away from it all. But what I really want everyone to think about here is kind of compartmentalizing, separating our own self-worth from our marketing performance and just commit to 90 days of trying out those three pillars so that you have the opportunity to see what lands because you might be really surprised by something that performs really well or surprised by something that doesn't perform as well. And that's all the most critical data that we need to kind of keep moving forward. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Like do more of what's working and less of what's not working. I'm wondering, I love this consumer-centric model I think it makes a lot of sense and I'm happy that we're talking about it because in some ways I feel like social media has run awry with everyone sort of promoting themselves and I'll admit I got caught up in that too. I thought, well, you know, people need to know who I am and so I need to post about myself. It makes me so uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyway. And so I'm just wondering, like, how does a person sort of discover what it is that their customer or their client or their prospective customers really want to see? And how can we be certain that we're not getting too far off topic? Yeah, I love that question. So one example that I use is if we can imagine back in the day when we had in real life networking events, maybe a cocktail party, and you knew that someone was going to be there that you really wanted to impress. You needed something from this person. Either you wanted a job from this person or an interview, or maybe they knew someone that you wanted to be connected with. What you would do before you arrived at that party is you would do some research on them and figure out what you have in common, right? You wouldn't get an intro and just immediately start talking about yourself because then they would think you were narcissistic and they would want to find someone to interrupt you and walk away, right? So you would try to find out like, do they have kids? You both have kids and you could talk about that. Or do they like tennis or golf and you have that in common and you could talk about that. So when you get introduced, you just casually and naturally, you don't say, I've been stalking you and I know you like golf. You just casually drop that into the conversation and you see their eyes light up and now you have their attention and then you have a conversation about that. And then slowly, they build trust with you and they build interest in you. And very slowly, you can kind of bring the conversation back to you and what you really wanted out of that conversation. Social media should feel a lot like that. So when we're thinking about how to find that pillar one content that centers your customer and your brand storytelling, it's really about that mutual ground between you and them. So a couple of examples of this could be if you are a food brand and your product could be used as an ingredient in a recipe. Pillar one content would be about sharing recipes, original recipes with your audience that you know they're going to love, that they can get value out of, 
without buying your product, right? So they can build this recipe successfully with what's in their fridge already. They don't need to go out and buy from you to do it. But by needing them there and offering them that and establishing that trust and common ground, now you have their attention, right? So even if they don't buy from you right then, they have a positive connection to you. Another example is fashion brands. So user-generated content where folks are just giving style inspiration. And so users, community members want to follow for that. They get value out of that even if they don't go buy that sweater. Or a beauty brand that helps community members learn different makeup tricks that they can really try with anything in their makeup brand. But the next time they go to buy that mascara, they're going to think of your brands because they just saved that look from your Instagram feed. Does that make sense? So it's all about finding that common ground and that mutual interest that bridges the gap between them and their interests and their passion and your product. Yeah, it totally makes sense because as you're talking through these examples, I can think of my own examples of how I'm consuming content. And I tend to gravitate toward the content that A, is obviously something that I'm interested in, but B, is answering a question that I have in my mind. So I think that that makes perfect sense. I notice of late that there seems to be a real kind of push toward embedding or weaving storytelling into your content as well, almost like character development and just kind of like a running narrative that consumers or potential customers or followers or however we want to coin them can follow along with. Is this a strategy that you recommend as well? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think that for me personally, it can be done two ways. So I think this sort of really tight storytelling arc, what you think about maybe pre-launch when you're trying to kind of build that character, that can work really well in email. It can be harder on social because actually only I think organic reach is at an all-time low on social. I think we're at about 5% as of today, which means one out of 20 people are seeing your content. So trying to build out a really long kind of storytelling framework on Instagram, for example, can be tough unless your engagement ratio is super duper high. But one way that I do this, for example, as a kind of marketing thought leader who has both a service-based business and a product-based business, I know my target persona is really a high-performance entrepreneur that is just hitting it every single day. And so my pillar one content, the content that performs really well for me in pillar one are what we call internally words of encouragement posts. So reminders to keep going, content that makes our customer really, really hyped to keep moving. The way that kind of integrates into our overarching brand storytelling framework, because we're putting them at the center, meaning we are attracting through that content really high-performance individuals that then are going to appreciate when we start talking about our high-performance marketing strategies that are zero-waste and resource-efficient. And then when I talk about myself being a high-performance individual that really needs to make the most out of my resources, that is a way that you can create a storytelling arc and connect their character to your character without really relying on social media to deliver that soap opera sequence or whatever that we have a little bit better time landing over email because we know we're going to get in their inbox and we know that they're going to see it. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds a little bit like, yes, use the story arc method, but bring your potential customers into the story as a character as well. So is that what you meant by that? Yeah, that's really cool. So you make a really great point by saying organic reach is at an all-time low, which is 5%. One in 20 people are seeing what you're posting. So I think this sort of begs the question about recycling your content, because I think we have to assume that we're spending all this time to put out a beautiful piece of content and only 5% of people are going to see it. So because of that, do you think that it is a good strategy to find ways to repurpose your content? I know that a lot of people feel, I'll speak for myself, I worry that I'm going to sound repetitive because I fear that the algorithm is just putting my content in front of the same (laughs) 5 out of 20 or 1 out of 20 people over and over and over. So what recommendations do you have for making sure that your message reaches people and like that you don't feel like you're repeating yourself? Yeah, I love that question. I have a couple of tips. The first is not stressing that you are being repetitive because even if your most engaged audience members are seeing your content more frequently, I think it's really important to remember two things. One, marketing's rule of seven, right? That says someone needs to read a message seven times before they actually retain it and it lands. The second is they're connected. But the fact that our customers and prospects are being smacked in the face with thousands of messages every single day. You can imagine them opening up Instagram or TikTok and scrolling through it and chaos ensues, right? So by really staying consistent, you are helping your customer carve out the space in their mind that you want them to have that relationship with you. You're really helping them retain that information and you're helping them not become overwhelmed with brand stories from you. So really focusing is actually hugely helpful for your target audience. The next little hack that I have that anyone here can try, even if you have very limited experience with paid social. So we used to set aside for our clients in our agency, we used to set aside this small amount of ad spend for boosted posts to overcome the issue of low reach. And about one year ago, maybe a little bit more, I noticed that in the very same month, and we used to just boost the way Instagram wanted you to boost, like it would pick your audiences for you and your placements for you. And then about a year ago, same month, I saw that all of our clients, their results for boosted posts dropped dramatically. And we were getting about a fifth of the results on the dollar that we had been getting before. So now what we do is if you think about that three pillar framework, where one is all about growing, one is about converting and one is about retaining, you can actually do what we call in our agency a new boost. (laughs) So we don't let Instagram choose the audience and the placements, what we do is with our organic post, we pull it into the back end of Business Manager and create a little micro campaign out of it. And we're able to spend 5 or $10 aligning our message to market, meaning we will align a growth pillar post to a lookalike audience or a cold audience that looks like the folks we want to target. We'll align a pillar 2 post to recent website visitors or warm audience members. And a pillar three can kind of go with both warm and cold. But that's another really tactical, actionable way that we've been overcoming for organic reach as well. And it works really, really well. Awesome. And it doesn't even cost a whole lot of money. So that's also a positive. It's achievable for really anybody. It's an amazing way to get started with social advertising. You can achieve this with 
anywhere between $50 and $200 a month. It doesn't have to be super expensive. It ensures that you're getting so much more out of that content that you're spending so much time producing. That's why we love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're already putting the time and effort into creating it. So why not spend a couple of bucks making sure that it gets in front of the eyeballs that you'd like it to? Yes. And all of our students that implement this, they see exponential growth in their page reach within the first week of implementing that tactic. So we love it. Amazing. So Katie, you also have a free resource for listeners to download. Do you want to talk about that now? Sure. Yeah. So kwcontent.com, we have a seven steps to building your content strategy free resource. It will take you through sort of the same process that I've been talking about today, just written down for you so you can kind of look through our seven-step process that we use within the agency. So it starts with our target persona development, walks you through competitive analysis, creating those content pillars, creating your content plan, and then aligning those kind of performance or growth tactics like the new boost to your organic post in your content calendar. So yes, that's free. It's available. It's the exact same process that we use to build and launch content and social media programs inside of our agency for our clients. I love it. It's just like, this is the workshop weekly and this is your workbook that goes with today's workshop. So I love it. It's a nice little package to help people kind of take some immediate action in getting more strategic with their content. So that immediate action aside, I always like to finish off these episodes with something that's really actionable that listeners can do when they're finished listening so that they're taking that step toward being more successful with whatever our workshop topic is. So what is that one thing that listeners can do today that you recommend to get one step closer to being more strategic with their content? Sure. Amazing. So doubling down on the content pillars a little bit, but just to kind of back up and share a little bit of an unpopular opinion, the no like and trust model that is so widely taught in marketing that I know we have all heard, we have all tried to implement. It works well in some spaces. It does not work that well on social media. That is sort of the egocentric model that makes our content fall flat and doesn't drive much engagement. So the first thing I want you to do is just consider forgetting the no like and trust model on social media and then really start to think about the fact that your customer does not need to know that much about you to build trust. What they need to know is how well you know them that's how you build trust. So with that, the piece that I want everyone to kind of think about today is finding that common ground. This is the piece that folks have a little bit of the hardest time with, but it's the piece that makes the biggest difference in our content and social media marketing. So challenging yourself to look around for those indirect competitors or industry leaders that share your target persona and looking and studying how they do social. What is that content? that they publish that has absolutely nothing to do with their product, but for some reason goes gangbusters with hundreds of comments and shares and all kinds of likes and all of that stuff. Look at what they're doing. Ask yourself how that might integrate into your content and social media plan and then draft up some posts and test it out and see how it goes. I love it. So when they're looking to other content marketers to do this research, would they be in the same vertical or are you suggesting that they go into like a completely new vertical and see what those folks are doing? I think it depends a little bit on what vertical you're in. So if you're in a competitive industry like fashion or beauty, you're going to have a ton of examples to go look at. I think that when you get into some service-based businesses, it's a little bit harder 
when people are really niching down and creating their own verticals, then it becomes a little bit harder. So that's where I think you can look at indirect competitors. And again, if you are serving, for example, moms of a certain age or moms of children a certain age, you can really look at that and say, okay, what other accounts, whether it is fashion brands or wellness brands or what have you that are targeting that same target persona, you can use that the same way. You also can think about if you are, for example, in beauty, you can look at fashion brands that share your same target persona. So you really can start if you have great examples that come to mind in your industry, start there. And if you don't, then get a little creative with it and look outside of your vertical. I love it. I think that I can almost like hear the sighs of relief right through my earphones today because I know like at least I feel really relieved because I think that to your point, it became this really hot topic to do this no like and trust thing. I think everybody listening can think of an example of somebody posting, hey, it's been a while since I introduced myself. And I think for a lot of us, especially in the creative entrepreneurship side of things, that does not come naturally and it pushes people outside of their comfort zone for all the reasons that you explained. For the most part, creative entrepreneurs want to stay behind the scenes. They want to show their products, not themselves. And they do feel really shy or maybe a bit egocentric about doing it. So I feel like you've just given listeners permission to like, don't worry about sharing things about yourself, worry more about what your customers want and put them at the center. And I feel like that just made everybody feel a lot of relief today. (laughs) It's why you'll see beauty brands posting puppy photos, right? A puppy photo or a video of a puppy wagging its tail, like That will work literally in any industry because pretty much everyone who's on Instagram is looking for entertaining, just warm and fuzzy content like that. So when in doubt, that puppy photo works really well. That's another example. Yeah. When in doubt, puppies and babies. Puppies and babies. (laughs) And I like your point too, that the delivery is also part of this. People want to be entertained at the end of the day. So I guess there's kind of those softer things like, or less tangible things like considering, do they like to receive content in a humorous way? Like, can you make them laugh? What would make them laugh? Or maybe it's something else that they would find entertaining. So I like that you mentioned that as well. Exactly. I think another thing to keep in mind is like moments of Zen. People are getting hammered with, we live in an era of infobesity. We're being hammered with so much content. So if you can imagine something like a slow-mo of a wave crashing on a beach or a bird flying, if that in some way relates to your target audience, or you can think of other kind of moments of Zen to create for them, that's another great way to bring value and to create content that people are going to share with their communities because it made them feel good for a moment in time. I love it. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today, generously sharing all of your expertise, taking the time to share it with myself and our listeners today. I really appreciate that you did this. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. This was awesome. And I hope it was helpful. Build it and they will come or something like that. I loved this conversation with Katie because it stressed that you really do need to focus on building a community that your audience can visualize themselves as a part of and help them connect with your brand. Imagining your brand as a single person with a very specific personality allows you to authentically reach your audience and understand the type of information that they're seeking, maybe without even realizing they're seeking it, and that will make it sure to stop their scroll. Centering your customer in your brand story is a surefire way to help them connect with your fabulous offer. 
Thank you again so much for making me a part of your day today. It is always truly such an honor. Until next week, my friend, bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.theworkshopweekly.com or leave a review on iTunes. And we'll see you next week for another action-packed episode, you workshop warrior you.